Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Amen. Well, my name is Chris. I think I said that already, but just in case I haven't. Hi. Uh, We are in this series. We just, every year we spend time in the Christmas season talking about Christmassy things. And uh, and so we're in week two of this teaching series, uh, Exploring Christmas. And um, it has been a busy, uh, busy couple of weeks. I don't know if anybody else has anything going on this time of year. Uh, yesterday, I had four different parties or events that I went to, and they were all awesome. They were things I wanted to be at, um, and I also had to say no to three other things that were happening yesterday, which were also awesome, and that I wanted to be at. That's one day, seven, I'm very popular, you guys. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, but do you guys know what it's like? I mean, the reality is, is that we are all being invited to experience parties and work events and family gatherings, and there's fun stuff that we want to do. We want to go see lights, and we want to go out to eat and try new restaurants and, and go shopping for our friends and our family and, and all these, maybe ourselves, uh, all these different things. There's so much going on, and it's not necessarily a bad thing to have a lot going on, but it can be a dangerous thing, and that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. Because I believe we've all had that happen. Uh, We can all imagine what it might be like to have a full schedule. We can all use our imagination to consider what it would feel like to have one thing after another scheduled in our lives. Might not take much time for you to have that. Uh, Having a full life isn't a bad thing. But the danger is when uh, our lives are so busy or our priorities are so reversed that we actually start to miss out on the most important things. We start to miss out on the most crucial aspects. And this is where today's Christmas uh, story comes in. Uh, we're looking at the villains of Christmas. Uh, last week, we looked at King Herod, who is an easy villain to point at. He was murderous and crazy and psychotic. Uh, a lot of villainous traits. Uh, The next few villains that we look at are going to be maybe a little bit less obvious, uh, but today we're going to be looking at the story of the innkeeper. Every kid's nativity play that matters has a grumpy innkeeper, right? Joseph and Mary, they get to the inn. She's very pregnant with a pillow of some sort in her belly, and the grumpy innkeeper slams the door closed because he's a terrible person. And he doesn't care about pregnant women, and he hates God, and all that, you know, it's a, uh, we have this story, right, that we have this experience. And, and so what I would love to do is, is to look at this passage and what Scripture says. In Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to start, verse 1 through 7. It says, now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And all the inhabited earth at that time was the Roman kingdom. Uh, in his mind, that this is all that matters. And a census at that point wasn't like other censuses, like the ones that we've gone through where you get phone calls or emails or people knock at your door asking all these questions. Uh, you had to travel back to where you are originally from for these. It says in verse two, it says, this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And that verse doesn't matter at all. 
to you today. Um, but it's interesting that it's in there. And, he, and why I believe that it's in there is because the book of Luke was written by a doctor. And he wrote in Luke chapter 1, he said, I have done my best to create an orderly historical account of the life of Jesus. And so when it says that this census was taken during Quirinius's reign as governor of Syria, he's saying that because he wants people to have kind of historical markers. And so when people were reading this in the first century and the second century, they're like, oh yeah, I remember Quirinius. He was a good governor or he was a bad governor or whatever their thoughts were. But he's giving like these historical markers so people can have confidence in what Luke is writing to us. And we can have confidence, even though we may not remember Quirinius. There's, there's a historical timeline here. It goes on in verse 3. It says, all the people were on their way to register for the census, each to his own city. Now Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was pregnant. Again, a sentence that is worth a little bit of observation. She was betrothed to him, they were engaged, and she was pregnant, which is a scandalous thing. But Luke is continuing to add these details into the story. It says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That's all the Bible says about the innkeeper. In fact, it doesn't say anything about the innkeeper. It just says there was no room for him at the inn. And, and you know, one of the things when it comes to stories is that we become kind of enwrapped in the stories and we start to fill in the gaps and we benefit from it. Some of our favorite movies, even the ones that are based on a true story, they're based on a true story. And then they fill in kind of the, the white space on the edges and, and we begin to explore what might it have been like to travel to Bethlehem. And we start to paint these pictures and, and, and there was no room for them at the inn. And, and why was that? Probably a grumpy 10-year-old innkeeper slammed the door on Mary because he doesn't know what it's like to be pregnant. You know, we, we fill in these stories, but the fact remains, and, and trust me, I triple checked this week. The Bible doesn't say anything else about the innkeeper. But the fact remains that we can't remove the innkeeper from our cultural understanding of Christmas. The innkeeper represents something. The innkeeper means something to us in the Christmas story, and it's worth exploring what that is. It's worth understanding why that matters, and it's worth understanding maybe just culturally a little bit of what's going on. It's hard to imagine that these children's nativity plays aren't historically accurate, but it might be true. The scripture isn't nearly as clear with the story of this innkeeper as we're led to believe. And, and while I think when we imagine it and when we think about it and when we read the scripture or see the movies or whatever it might be, we picture kind of a night manager at a Motel 6 who just doesn't care. Um, but when you think about inns as we would understand them, hotels, motels, holiday inns, all the different types of things. Thank you. Some of you get that and the rest of you, it's okay. Um, 
As you think about inns, those didn't exist at this time. In larger cities, there were places where people could rent a room. But Bethlehem was not a large city. It was a village. And so some translations of the scripture, other English translations, they say things, uh, they use words like there was no lodging available. One says there was no guest room available for them. And that's a little bit more of an accurate picture. See, in, in this time, culturally, if a stranger needed a place to stay, there was a cultural obligation to care for them and to host them. And at this point in time, uh, Joseph and Mary travel home. And remember, they're going home for a census. And that census didn't mean that they needed to be there. It meant that everyone needed to be there. Everyone had to travel home. It was like a high school reunion for everyone. Everyone is coming back and everyone is going to their family's house. The people that they know and love and saying, hey, we're here and we're excited to sleep indoors. And so it's an interesting thing because it's likely that Joseph and Mary went to a family member's house and that person said no and sent them out to the stable. And again, you begin to explore what, what could this mean? What, why would they do this? Maybe Joseph and Mary just arrived later than everybody else, and all of the guest rooms were already filled. Maybe uh, someone's grandma and grandpa were in the room, and the person was like, I'm not going to kick them out to the stable. Like, you know, that time, and even still today, mostly grandparents are honored and respected. And there is a sense of how do we continue to prioritize and honor the people that need to be honored? There's also the possibility, as, as we remember, that Joseph and his girlfriend, who was very pregnant, were showing up to a family gathering. I don't know about your guys' families, but my family is pretty good at talking and having opinions about other people, other people in the family, other people's choices. Well, Joseph's here with that girl. She's pregnant. You want me to kick Nana and Grandpa out of their room for him and his girlfriend? I don't think so. The reality is that they were both teenagers. They were probably 14, 15 years old. This is the reality of that time. And so there's a, a thousand ways that you can begin to kind of dive into the story and, and expand your understanding. It's not just an angry motel manager. And I don't know if it was an intentional slight like they intentionally were trying to keep Joseph and Mary out, or if it was an accidental kind of just in the busyness, the homeowner or the innkeeper was unaware. But the reality is, while last week's villain was a person, this week's villain is more of an idea and a reality. and It's the villain of busyness and prioritization. And it, it, it was a threat of sorts that first Christmas, and it is still a threat now. It's still a, a danger to each of us now. And we all wrestle with this for one reason or another. And, and again, it's not wrong to have a full schedule. It's not bad to have a lot of things going on. It's not hard to be popular, you know. Uh, but if we're not intentional, if we're not aware, we will just continue to become busier and busier and busier and assume that that's just the reality. We will have no space in our lives for anything 
of substance that matters. I think that we tend to live closer to uh, overwhelmed than we do to bored. I've got this uh, like little spectrum here I want to show you guys. Uh, on one side, you have isolated and lonely. And on the other side, you've got busy and overwhelmed. And in the middle, let's just say, and these are general buckets, you've got a, a full life. I love my friends, my family, I'm connected, I'm a part of a church, I've got a job, i got whatever it is. Most of us tend to live right on the border of a full life and constantly overwhelmed. I, I would bet that almost nobody, maybe nobody in this room would say, you know what, I'm, I'm, i I got a lot of free time, I don't know what to do. I'm just trying to find anyone to do anything with in my life. Even people that might feel a sense of loneliness, that doesn't mean that you're not absolutely busy or even absolutely surrounded by others. You can be in a room full of people. You could be here today and sadly feel a sense of loneliness or isolation. We live in this space where we are always kind of tipping over the line to busy and overwhelmed. And in our best moments, we just have a lot going on. In the best moments, we have this. And this is backed up by research. 60% of adults say that they feel too busy to enjoy life. And that number goes up. For parents that have kids under 18 years old, 74% of them, according to the Pew Research Study, says that they feel too busy to enjoy life. In 2008, this is a little bit of an older poll, USA Today uh, published the results. They had been taking a poll each year since 1987, so 87 to 2008, and they reported every year that the individuals they asked felt busier than the year before. This has to do with the way that we parent as well. There's an author named Bridget uh, Schulte, and she writes that... Um, or I'm sorry, uh, this author is Alvin Rosenfield. He, he writes, overscheduling our children is not only a widespread phenomenon, it's how we parent today. Parents feel remiss that they're not being good parents if their kids aren't in all kinds of activities. Bridget Schulte in her book, she was talking about adults. She says, so much do we value busyness that researchers have found a human aversion to idleness and a need for justifiable busyness. H&R Block did a poll, and they found that the average person claimed to be so busy that they only get about 26 minutes of free time a week. Some of you guys are like, I would love 26 minutes of free time. The last one is interesting to me because it's Christmas-related. Um, researchers have tracked the rise of busyness through holiday cards dating back to the 1960s. In holiday cards, Americans used to share news about their lives, the joys and sorrows of the year, and now the majority of them are most likely to just mention how busy they are. But we used to say, here's the things that we have done. And now we say, here's how busy I am. Here's what we've accomplished. Here's the milestones that we've achieved. We're busy. We got a lot going on. Did you put that in our holiday card? <laughs> uh, the reality is, is that we just, 
we kind of live in a world that is getting busier and busier. It's getting more and more things going on. There's always opportunities for us to be aware and connected. And, and this is a threat to our lives as a whole all year round, but especially during the Christmas season, because we fill our schedule with so many good things and we try and do so many Christmassy things that we actually miss out on the wonder of Christmas. And we have this danger, just like the innkeeper, that if we don't make space, that we will miss out on beauty. If we don't make space in our schedules, if we don't make space, even emotionally or mentally, what do I need to do to be able to decompress from the days? If we don't make space with our family or with our friends, that we will miss out on the beauty of Christmas. It was, uh, I think yesterday, but honestly, it's been so busy. I don't remember when it was. Uh, my wife and I were talking about trying to calendar a time that we can put our kids in the car and drive to go look at Christmas lights. That's something we have to put in our calendar now. We have so much going on that we have to somehow plan out two weeks away to drive a couple miles and look at Christmas lights. We all wrestle with this. And again, it's like the stuff that we're doing is fun. The majority of it, I want to be a part of. I won't tell you the ones I don't, but the most of, it, most of them are good things. And we have to be able to be aware in this season of the danger of busyness and misprioritization. I don't know if it was the next day or if it was a few months later or 30 years later when that innkeeper realized what he missed out on. The ability to host Emmanuel, God with us. And I'm sure when he realized, he was like, if I had known how important it was, if I could do it over again, if, I, if somebody had given me a heads up that this is a moment that will never happen again. And we say these same things. If I had known how quickly the years would go by, if I had known how much these moments matter, if I had known that this was going to be my last time seeing my loved ones, if we had known. And the unfortunate reality is that we don't. We don't get that type of foreknowledge. But what we do get is the opportunity to prioritize our lives, to say, this is what matters. This is who matters. This is how I'm going to say yes to things. These are the types of things I'm going to say no to. Here's the types of schedules that we want to keep. Here's the, the types of time that we want to have over the next two and a half weeks, not even, two weeks and a day that we have before Christmas shows up. I want to actually have some space to see what might happen. Not space to fill it with plans, but space to see where Christmas might show up in unexpected ways, in beautiful ways. I think it's possible that we could squeeze every ounce of Christmas fun out of the season and still somehow miss the actual point. And I just, I want us to be aware of that. I want me to be aware of it. And the only time I learn things is when I preach them to you. So this is about as self-serving as it can get. 
We have to start to become aware of this stuff. And you know what? And I'm just going to say this out loud. Even if you get it right for the next two weeks, you're going to screw it up before you get to next Christmas. We have to continue to circle back to these things. We have to continue to remember these things. These are rhythms that we have to continue to remind ourselves of because they're so crucial to what we actually experience and feel in our lives, in our relationships, and in our faith. There's an old saying, I don't know even who maybe originated it. I'm sure we've all heard it. But every time we say yes to one thing, we are saying no to something else. Every time I say yes to one Christmas party, I'm saying no to something else. Every time I say yes to one event or one meeting or one more late night at the office or one more family gathering, I'm saying no to something else. And these things aren't inherently bad, but we have to recognize the realities. Um, the way that I schedule things is that I look at my calendar, and if it's free, I say yes most of the time. But I pay no attention to what else is happening the day before, the night before, a couple hours before. I think I told this story a couple months ago this fall. Uh, basically, every band that we wanted to see was going on tour. And every time they would announce their concert dates, we would look. I'm like, oh, I'm free. I'll buy those tickets. Free, I'll buy those tickets. And we ended up seeing six concerts in six weeks. And five of them were in L.A. Yeah, I know. You know what, you guys? The first service was also disgusted by that. And it's more emotion than you even give the innkeeper who hates baby Jesus. Uh, and it, we wanted to go to all of those concerts. But I just didn't pay attention to how these things were slotting in my schedule. And then all of a sudden I realized I'm driving to L.A. way more than I want to be driving to L.A., even for good things. And it started to diminish how much we actually enjoyed those things that we wanted to do. And I just, I, I have to imagine that all of us are, are somewhat similar. We're, we're all just, if I'm available, then yeah, I'll be there. And if I'm not, then I won't. Or maybe I'll book four things in one day and see if I can just burn the candle at both ends. We just have this tendency to lean in and, and become so overwhelmed with stuff that we miss out on boredom. We miss out on the chance just to sit and do nothing. Every once in a while, when we actually don't do anything, we feel guilty about it. I know I've said things to people like, actually, I didn't do anything. As like, I'm sorry, I didn't do much this weekend. I haven't said that in a long time. But in, in the off moments where we actually have a moment, there's a sense that I should be doing something else with this time. As if doing nothing was wrong. But actually, this is the space where we get to experience wonder and beauty and be surprised and live in a moment. Instead of trying to externally create things to happen, we just get to become aware to what might actually happen. And uh, just as a side note, in January, we're doing a series where we're going to be talking about this. It's called Subtraction. Uh, accomplishing more by doing less. We're going to spend the entire month just looking at, hey, what can we do to actually stop doing things. So some of you guys might have started thinking about New Year's resolutions. 
And rather than adding more things to what you want to accomplish, what if we actually took some things off of our plates? What if we had a filter to know what we could say no to? Um, but I wanted to give just some practical things for us today. And these suggestions that I'm going to give you, none of these are mind-blowing. Uh, none of these will be shocking to you. But I hope that maybe one or two of them might kind of prod you in some specific ways to make some adjustments. And so there's a few ways that we can fight against busyness. Uh, stop telling yourself and others how busy you are. You, you are busy. We can all just, let's just all agree we're all busy. <clears throat> but what researchers have found is that we continue saying this, and we actually are starting to believe that we're not in control of how busy we are. We're starting to believe that I can't do anything about how busy I am. And I hate to break it to you, <laughs> but you can. We can. It, it's hard. It's not always convenient. We'll have to probably miss out even on some things that we want to do. But we have to stop telling ourselves this. And also, there is a weird like pride thing that comes along. Like busyness equals value. Busyness equals people wanting me to be at all their parties. You know, it's like, it's just... It's hard. You know, it's hard to be me. Hard to be Brad. Uh, so there's this uh, distinguish between what is important versus what is urgent. There's a difference. And we can begin to navigate this. Develop a system to deal with distractions. Learn how to say no frequently and firmly. I'm a people pleaser. It is not easy to say no. Um, I read a number of years ago, I think it was Anne Lamott that wrote it. She said, no is a complete sentence. You can write no, period, and it is a complete sentence. And you can be as kind as you want also, but you can say no. You should say no. Revisit your priorities and focus your efforts on them. Simplify your life, including owning fewer possessions. Regularly seek out solitude away from screens. Cut back on your commitment to activities. Not church on Sundays, but, you know, other things. That wasn't a joke. I'm just kidding. I mean, it's not, but you know, I just wanted to freak you out for a second. Uh, and then decide in advance how many nights is okay to be out each week. Do you even have like a framework for these things? Our family does. We don't always live by it, but we've had these conversations. I, I would bet that most of us don't even have the conversations. How many nights a week is it okay for us to be out? How many nights is it okay for us to not be together? Or if maybe you're not married, you don't have kids, how many nights a week do I want to be out of my house doing things versus home with space to rest, to think, to consider? I want us to be able to practically step into this because we all want rest and we just continue to fill our calendars. We continue to find busyness and stuff to do. And about 30 years after this baby was born in that manger, he began teaching. And he has this phrase that we've all heard before. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, and I will give you rest. And, you know, one of the things that I think is important for us to recognize is that in our busyness, we actually are less likely to come to Jesus. And when we do, we expect him to like sprinkle some fairy dust or wave a magical wand 
and make us feel rested. And while he is possible of that, I think that what he's actually inviting us to is to model our lives after how he lived his. To slow down. To be able to be interrupted. To notice when people are in need. There's other times where Jesus was surrounded by people who needed healing and help. And it says, and Jesus left to go rest and pray. There's this invitation for us to live a way that's different than everybody else's living and to live in a way that Jesus modeled for us, that Jesus invited us to live to where we actually get to experience rest in our lives. The innkeeper was too busy to make space, and we often are too. We're too busy, and we struggle to keep everything going. Too busy, and we just want a chance to breathe, and there is this invitation for us to experience rest in Christ. Rest in our understanding of who God is and how he's calling us to live. One other scripture I want to look at, Psalm 46.10. Again, it's a pretty well-known one. Be still and know that I am God. Now, you can read this verse and, and really pull a lot out of it. Maybe it's an invitation to honor God. This, this idea of like, be still and know that I am God. Uh, understand my greatness as creator, which is maybe true. Maybe there is an invitation for us to to be still and know that he is God and, and to recognize that, you know, there's things that I am worried about and that I want to be able to control, but I need to slow down and recognize that God is with me and his spirit fills me. And that, that's true also. But I wonder for us today and in this season, if there's almost a recipe here, that it's hard to remember who God is and what he wants to do in our lives if we don't slow down, if we can't be still. And that's, that's my invitation for us today, to slow down. We have so much going on, and the more we do, the more we work, the more we hustle, the more we forget the way we were designed to experience life. The innkeeper is no stranger to any of us, and I want us to be able to fight against that temptation today. So practically speaking, uh, I want to invite us to something. It might be a little bit challenging for us to do, but for each thing that we add to our schedule this holiday season, what would it look like for you to, to schedule one personal or immediate family block of time as well? And it might be too late. Your schedules might be full. But maybe even just review your calendar. Open your iPhone at some point and just look at what you have going on. And, and then also look at, have I actually scheduled space? Have I scheduled downtime? Have I scheduled time with the people that are most important to me? Family, chosen family, friends, whoever it might be. What would it look like? And it doesn't have to be equal time. What if each day you actually blocked out 30 minutes? It feels crazy. 15 minutes to just be still, to rest, to make space. Uh, some of the greatest moments of the last couple weeks for me have been at night when I just sat on our sofa, 
lights were off, and I just stared at the Christmas tree. Part of the reason why is because I was too tired to walk upstairs because of how busy the day had been. But in that moment, there is this like beauty and magical thing that I experience. What it looked like for us just to find moments, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, an hour for the people and the spaces that are most important to us. I think this is how we fight against, fight against the, the threat of the innkeeper in our lives. We make space to experience beauty wherever it might show up. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized, or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa, and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.